It is good to see everyone today. If you're new here, my name is Ethan, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Well, and it's just an honor to have you worshiping with us today. And so if you're new, I hope you find yourself at home and uh, you enjoy your time here as we get to worship Jesus and get to hear him through his words speak to us today. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. Before we dig in and read this text, um, when you read Ruth chapter 3, really when you get to this specific section, you will begin to see a painting coming to life. One that illustrates that every book in the Bible, every chapter in the Bible, every inspired word is Christocentric. It's Christ-centered. In, in ancient and medieval centuries, astrologers and, uh, and those in academia and science, the common consensus when it came to the earth, was that the earth was at the center of our solar system and that the sun and the planets all revolved around the earth. And so this was known as geocentrism. And so in 1543, there was a mathematician named Nicholas Copernicus, and he proposed a theory in opposition to the geocentric view that the earth was the center of our solar system. He he proposed a different idea known as heliocentrism, that the earth is not the center of the solar system and the sun revolves around it, but instead the sun is the center of the solar system and the earth revolves around the sun. And so today that is the common consensus. And if you disagree, you got to take it up with Copernicus, okay? See, when we read the Bible, there are primarily two ways you can read it. One I believe is right, and one I would urge you not to. See, we can place us in the center of the Word, a man-centered view of the Bible, where you and I are at the center of the Scriptures. The Bible points to us. It revolves around us, where we take our meaning, our ideas, and we apply them to the Bible, known as eisegesis. But God in his providence has shown us that this is not the way. That the Bible is not man-ocentric, but it's Christocentric. It's Christ-centered, with Christ in the center and everything pointing, revolving around Jesus. See, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is all about the Son of God. And when we read His Word, instead of us going and taking our thoughts, feelings, and emotions and applying it to what God says, we take God's Word, His inspired text, and see how it applies to us, how He deemed it right. And see, Jesus, after His resurrection on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, He is walking with the two disciples. They do not know who he is yet. And he points out Luke 24, just to have this on the screen. He says, how, he said to him, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And so the idea here is this. As Jesus is walking with them, he's explaining the Old Testament. And he says, guys, we're going to go through the writings of Moses. We're going to go through all the prophets. And I'm going to tell you how this points to me. 
And we realize in Luke 24 that all of Scripture points to Jesus, even Ruth. So in chapter 3, the love of God is illuminated in the pursuit of Boaz to Ruth. And in turn, this illuminates the love of Jesus towards you and I. The love of Christ towards sinners. And so we must not read chapter 3 figuring out as if it was a problem that we may not have a spouse. God has a Boaz. Now we have to pray in faith to receive him or her. That's not what this is. We read it Christ-centered. That we are in need of a Savior. God sent a Savior. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. So this is what we will see, this beautiful picture of the gospel going into chapter 3. So look in verse 1 of chapter 3 in the book of Ruth, and we're going to read the first five verses, and then we will continue on through the rest in a moment. Starting in verse 1, God's word says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley at or tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So we have this opening up where we're about to see this coming together of Ruth and Boaz. And it's in this chapter, I want to lead you just through three observations to make as we see these different sections. And so in the first five verses, I want to point out this first observation for all you note takers. And that is this, we're going to see a desire for redemption in these first five verses. We're going to see a desire for redemption. In the opening verses, you noticed, Naomi said to Ruth, Ruth, should I not be finding rest for you? Should I look, re look for rest that it would be well with you? And so if you don't remember, Naomi, Ruth, Orpah as well, all of them have lost their husbands. They are widows. They can no longer in this context care for themselves, provide for themselves. They are struggling and so she is looking for aid. And so it's in this verse, when we see the word rest, the word for rest in the Hebrew, in the original context, is this word that's called manah. And this word does not mean a nap. Where you go and you take a lunch break and you pick up some fast food, you eat it real quick, and you go and sleep in your car in the parking lot of your job. That's not what this is. See, this word means a resting place, a long-term place. Not a quick catnap in the car, but a lifetime in a warm home. See, Ruth, she was in need of a whole new life. Uh, we were talking to a friend recently, and they received a week off uh, from work. They were taking some vacation time. And time off from work and school, if you're a student, it can be a blessing. And you use that time off prayerfully so that you can rest. However, the way you choose to rest is eye-opening. It's really important how you do this. And so this friend of ours, he took this week off, and we went to him, and we asked him, hey, what did you do with your week off? 
And so we were talking to him and he said to us, well, I straight up binge watch Netflix all week. And he had this big grin on his face. And we're like, wow, that's awesome. And we proceeded to ask, well, well, how do you feel, brother? And he said, I feel terrible. (laughs) Because if you have ever binge watched a show, you feel awful after it. It's not a good feeling. See, he discovered right here that rest does not come from time off. And rest does not come from binge watching Netflix. Rest comes from Jesus. Those things are catnaps, but a life with Jesus is an entire new world. See, rest and redemption comes from him. See, Ruth had a need for rest, and this, remember, is pointing to Jesus. See, Ruth's need for rest is an image of our need for redemption, our need for a Savior. See, you do not need to go and find a self-help book that gives you 10 tips to fix your brokenness in 24 hours. You need a whole new life, one that is redeemed by Jesus. And so often we try to find rest for our souls by quick fixes, quick improvements, catnaps to get us by. But when in actuality, we need to be born again. As Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, So you need to recognize in this moment that you and I are needy people. We are broken because of our sin and we are in need of a Savior. And God in His great love for us in this church has saved our souls. But we need a Redeemer. So Naomi tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor. And the threshing floor that they're talking about in verse 2 is this area of the field where they would go and they would loosen the grain and separate the wheat from the chaff. And Naomi proposes a plan to Ruth to make her desire for redemption to be made known to Boaz. She says, you are to wash and prepare yourself, go to the threshing floor. And after Boaz is eaten and drank, where his heart is merry and he is asleep at the threshing floor, you will go and lie at his feet, uncover his feet, and you're going to wait. Now listen, if you haven't caught on yet of what's actually happening This is a love story in the making, okay? I know this isn't your Hallmark plot. This is a biblical plot. And it's in this passage, what we're essentially seeing is Ruth is about to show her openness towards marriage, towards Boaz. Now, I'm not a love doctor, okay? I'm gonna be honest, I'm not. And I try my best to defer to the Lord's providence when folks tell me they're dating and they wanna know what I think. But this is a strange strategy, okay? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this is a different way of showing this. So whether this is a cultural norm or whether this is just a wild idea from Naomi, this is what she chooses to do in order to show that Ruth is maritally available to Boaz. So I remember when I was riding in a vehicle several years ago, it was in the Lord's providence, that I was with a few people, and Lexi happened to be in this car. I was single at the time, and I asked Lexi, I said, hey, how are you and so-and-so? And she responded to me in that moment, well, actually, me and so-and-so have broken up. I'm, I'm single now. And it was in that moment that the light bulb went off in my head and said, It's game time. It's time to go. And this is exactly what's happening with Ruth and Boaz right here. 
See, she goes and we see what happens in the second section with this second observation. So in the first five verses, we see a desire for redemption. But in verses 6 through 15, we are going to see a deliverer of redemption. Let's look at verse 16 and look at the deliverer of redemption. Verse 6, the writer says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. This is crazy. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Ruth has gone and she heeds Naomi's guidance and she goes to the threshing floor. Boaz has worked all day. He has eaten, drank, and now he is asleep. I would imagine on some bale there. And she uncovers his feet, okay? So some believe that the intent of this was it's cold outside and she's uncovering his feet. So at some point, the brother is going to wake up because someone moved the end of his bedsheet. But it's here that at midnight, he wakes up. It's midnight. He doesn't recognize her. The Bible says he was startled and he said, who is it? And Ruth responds and said, it is Ruth, your servant. And immediately he recognizes her. And so it's in this passage that verse 9 is one of the most pivotal moments in this passage. Because in verse 9, she calls to him. It says, Boaz, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. For you are a redeemer. So we briefly talked about that last week, and I want us just to go deep just for a moment. Because Ruth and Naomi are widows, they are navigating increasingly difficult times. Because of the nature of their situation, they could be forced to sell their land, their possessions. They can no longer afford to tend to them. And the law, according to Leviticus, instead of them selling the land, possessions and becoming widows, a kinsman could redeem them. Where in the tradition, according to the law, a brother was to go and marry the widow, if it was appropriate, and begin a new family as they cared for them. Now, Naomi's husband appears to not have brothers. Elimelech, he appears to not have brothers who are eligible for this. But he has a relative. And the relative is Boaz. So the word here for redeemer in the Old Testament, in, in Hebrew, is this word goel. And the responsibility of the goel was to buy back something as if it was your own. Boaz was the goel, the redeemer for Ruth. There's a picture of this that is really clearly articulated in the Old Testament. 
and that is in the book of Hosea. It's a very interesting story, just like this one right now. But God, in his providence, gives a unique call to Hosea. And he says, in the ESV, he says to go and take a wife from whoredom. And he does this. Him and Gomer, and they have children together. All of this happening. And when you get to chapter 3 of Hosea, you see that God calls him to go again to Hosea. See, um, or to Gomer, I'm sorry. And she has engaged in adultery. And the Bible says in Hosea chapter 3 that Gomer has gone and she has been loved by another man that is not her husband. And so for Hosea, he has a wife who has departed wayward in sexual sin. And you would consider the options. What would be the options in the world today? Should they remain together? Should they depart? What does Hosea do? (laughs) In chapter 3 of Hosea, he does a radical thing. He goes, he doesn't leave her, he doesn't forsake her, but he redeems her. He purchases her for 15 shekels of silver in a homer and a barley and brings back this woman who was already his wife because he loves her. See, Jesus is our Goel, our Redeemer. See, Boaz is creating a gospel picture. That in this text, he bought us back as his own. And he bought us with his own life, Christ did. In death, he died for our sins. In his resurrection, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And by faith in him, you will be saved. And so Jesus is this ultimate picture of the Goel that Boaz is doing for Ruth right now. See, she presents herself which is where she says, spread your wings over me. Her way of saying, Buzz, I desire that you marry me. As I was reading uh, a brother, Alan Tate in Florence, that preached to this, this was her way of proposing to him. The reverse of the culture, right? And so it's in this moment that he says he will indeed redeem Ruth. However, in this passage, He says, I will redeem you. But in verse 12, he says, there's an issue. It is true that I'm a redeemer. Yet in verse 12, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. And so she presents herself, but the issue is, He says there is one person somewhere in the family line that is closer than him, that he has the right to redeem you before he would. And so it's in this passage that he says, if this kinsman does not redeem you, I absolutely, with certainty and assurance, will redeem you, Ruth. He assures her of this, and this leads into the next moment. So she lies down, and she waits till morning. And it's in this passage that we saw that there is a desire for redemption, that we have this in our need for Jesus. There is a deliverer of redemption that is taught in the image of Boaz, and it is made perfect in Christ in his delivery of us. And the final observation I want you to see is a declaration 
of redemption. The third observation, a declaration of redemption that we see in verses 16 through 18. So look this in this final few verses, 16 through 18. He says, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that had the man had done for her, talking about Boaz. Saying, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. Now watch this. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, did you catch the connection here? In verse one, you have someone that is in need of rest, a picture of being in need of redemption. And Naomi is going, should I go and find this rest for you? She is seeking it out. She is looking for it. You get to the end of the chapter. Boaz has presented himself and Naomi assures Ruth of this, that in your need of rest, there is one who will not rest until you are redeemed. His name is Boaz. This declaration of redemption. And folks, let me tell you, there is a God who will not rest on our part, but he has actively pursued you. And his name is Jesus, who has declared redemption over your souls. There is no delay. There is no wait, but it is finished in Christ. He has this incredible posture of pursuing you with no delay. This is the picture that we see in Jesus, that Christ is the assurance of our redemption. He has declared it. It will be done in this world and eternally in the life to come. There are many things in this world that offer redemption. They come at a price that you have to give. They come with delay, but it's only in the gospel message that we see a Savior who comes at His price for the price of His Son on your behalf in immediacy so that you can be saved, so that you can be redeemed. This is what Jesus has done for you. And it's painted in the redemption of Ruth from Boaz. My favorite book in the Bible is Ephesians uh, for many, many reasons, just for the depths of God's personality, his characteristics that you learn there. And it's in Ephesians chapter one that Paul talks about the redemption of Jesus. See, folks, you have to see the big picture right now. Jesus Christ is the greater Boaz. He is the ultimate Goel, the ultimate redeemer. He sees your need for redemption. He sent his son as a redeemer and he has declared that it will be done. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter one, he said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in his sight and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to be sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then watch this, Ephesians 1, 6, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, verse 7, we have redemption. We have redemption through what? Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And so the idea here, guys, is simply this is that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, and He has redeemed you by His blood. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, died on a cross. He was crucified, and it was on the cross that His blood was spilled. It wasn't random. It wasn't just a coincidence. But it was in this moment that in God's providence that His blood was the atonement for your sins, for my sins. And no matter what you have done, guys, no matter how far and wayward you feel like you have run from God, how rebellious you have been, how dark your life has been, how much you have been hiding in your sin, what he promises here is that if his blood has been spilled and you believe in him, he will redeem you. He will purchase you back with his own life. This is the picture of the gospel. And so if you are here today struggling with sin, feeling the weight and guilt of what you have done, yet you are in Christ, your sin is covered. He has redeemed you. And nothing will ever change that. If you're here today and you've never been redeemed by Jesus, And in this moment, if I were to ask you the question, have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And is Jesus Christ your Redeemer? You would say no. If that is you today, I want to invite you to come to sit at the table with Jesus, the friend of sinners, who not only can, who is not only willing, but who wants to redeem you today. If you would trust in him, he promises you this, that you would be washed as white as snow and the guilt of stain removed forever and you will be adopted in to the family of God. This family has a seat for you and Jesus is inviting you in. And so today, if you need to trust in him, I want you to come and pray to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together and we'll praise God for being our Redeemer.